How's it going, everybody? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Reasonably Outrageous. My name is Blake Pace, alongside alongside Matt Wyrick. Uh, Matt, we took another reasonably outrageously long uh, break. <laughs> it's been uh, about a week and a half, or actually, we've probably almost gone two weeks since our last episode. But we are back just in time uh, to get things going. Matt, if you didn't know, football is back, uh, so we're going to be kicking off some divisional previews for the NFL season towards the end of this episode. We've got some fun baseball topics to start in, but uh, it's been a while, Matt. You feeling any rust at all, or are you glad to be back on doing the pod? Yeah, I really think that Reasonably Outrageous is 100% just <laughs> to describe the amount of time in between episodes, because it's reasonable. It's only a couple weeks. we got right. stuff going on, but it's outrageous because people are expecting you know a couple times a week, right? So we now, with the NFL previews, we've actually forced ourselves to go every two week, uh, twice every week, because if we don't, we will miss previews before the season, and we can't do that. So every Tuesday, Thursday, starting now through the start of the NFL season, we can 99% guarantee that we will be here with you all talking about some football plus whatever else is going on in sports at the moment. Exactly. We need to lay down our awful NFL takes before the season starts. <laughs> we can't come in after the season has already begun with whatever takes we might have that are Reasonably outrageous. Uh, it's, oh, God, I hated saying that. That sounded awful. <laughs> this, the, the name is a walking pun, which is, is just terrible, but, is. you know, whatever. <laughs> right. So, yes, we're back. We Like I said, we're going to get to some baseball, but just to touch on what these uh, divisional previews are going to be like, uh, for every episode, we're going to break down uh, the four teams in a particular division. Uh, we're going to alternate between uh, NFC and AFC, going between North, South, East, West, um, and so today we will be starting with the NFC North. That'll be the last segment we do on today's podcast. Um, but we're going to basically give out our projected uh, records for all of the teams and some of the three main storylines that we're each looking for with the specific teams. Uh, so that'll be a, a real fun segment for us to get started in with tonight and to carry through until the season. And then, of course... On our Thursday podcast that will come out the day that the NFL season kicks off, we will also have a very fun collective uh, breakdown of our playoff picture, uh, maybe some MVP picks, and maybe some preseason Super Bowl picks too. So very exciting uh, to get into that. I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am for football to be back. I don't know if you've already watched Hard Knocks, uh, Matt, last night. but I, I haven't. Sure. Don't tell me. It, uh, is, it, it is it, on my list, but I will watch it. All right, so I'll, I'll just say that I enjoy it. I enjoy John Gruden on TV. Um, I'm quickly realizing that I'm not a big Derek Carr guy. Um, of course, we, you know, so there's a lot of fun things going on with the Raiders, so definitely make sure um, to check that episode out. I know we were talking with Tom earlier as he was watching it today. I watched it live last night. I'm just excited for football, man. I, I think I just am going to watch as much preseason football it, as much as I hate it. Last year, I didn't watch a single game of NFL preseason. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I couldn't, but I just, for some reason, I've just been deprived of, uh, maybe I've been watching too much baseball. Not to say that I've been hating on baseball, but I've been watching an absurd amount uh, this summer just because I've had nothing else to do in my free time. So I've been watching a ton of baseball. So now that football's back, I'm like, oh, I gotta watch some of that. You're, you're just gonna ditch baseball. I know it. You've been telling I me, oh, not. I've Dude, become such a Matt, big baseball fan. <laughs> I can't tell you. The only channel, I, I guarantee you, the only two channels that I've had on my TV uh, since I've moved to Nashville have been uh, the MLB Network, and then I, I'll switch sometimes to uh, Fox Sports when they televise the Yankees games, and then I'll, I guess I'll switch to Sunday Night Baseball the last two weeks because they had the Red Sox uh, games 
Red Sox Yankees games. Uh, so yeah. I've been, I'm, dude, I've been watching so much baseball, but I definitely could see myself just slip onto the cracks and and switch back <laughs> to football. But you know, as, as we're gonna hold off on the football talk, and I guess we're gonna start off with baseball. We've got two baseball topics because the NFL is essentially dead right now. Uh, as we were talking before the show, there's really not much going on in that league um, to really besides talk Antonio about. Brown getting frostbite. Oh no, I was saying in the uh, in the NBA. We don't know. Oh, much you said going NFL. On. Oh, so, did I? Yeah, Jeez. N- yeah. NBA, nothing's going on, though. It's yeah. been since the Draymond Green concert or concert contract uh, <laughs> that we so conveniently missed. Um, there's not a whole lot to talk about. And I feel like you all don't want to listen to us talk about a contract yeah, that we right. agreed to a week ago. So we'll yeah. just talk about the Cubs. Yeah, double up on some baseball. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to start right in on the NL Central. And we're going to talk about the Chicago Cubs. And uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you first because we're sitting now on this is coming out. Uh, August 8th, and as of now, recording the night of August 7th, the Cubs have a slight three-and-a-half game lead over the Cardinals and Brewers. The Reds, seven games behind them, and the Pirates in last at 48-65, and 65, just about 14 games behind the division lead. But the lead in this division has been uh, shockingly small. And Matt, you know, I want to ask you why you think the Cubs haven't been able to really separate themselves from the rest of the pack, as we're here in the early stages of August as we're gearing towards the postseason? Well, you know, the Cubs really didn't have a huge offseason. They were pretty quiet, um, made some minor moves, but really didn't push the needle with any of the signings that they had. And, you know, it was uncharacteristic of the Epstein's group, uh, something we've been used to seeing out of them, making big, splashy signings, uh, you know, really bringing home some franchise names. We saw with Jason Hayward getting the huge deal, John Lester, uh, ben Zobris, just to name a few in years past, but so far this year, they really didn't make any big moves until bringing in Craig Kimbrell. Now, the team obviously, you know, they, they rolled into this year looking at their core and looking at other young cores around the league and saying, okay, our core is just as good as anybody else's. We believe in it. We think it's going to get the job done. And they've ultimately just been a bit of a rocky road. I mean, the bullpen has had huge question marks in the back end. They obviously bring in Craig Kimbrell. He's pretty bad to come, I think, a 5 yeah. ERA uh, to get started here with, in Chicago, then gets hurt. He's now on the injured list. You had Brandon Morrow, the guy they signed to be their closer uh, two off-seasons ago. He's injured. He's on the 60-day IL, uh, anthropo- anthroscopic surgery on his right elbow. Um, he's not expected to even make his season debut until September. So they've really had some problems there. Xavier Cedeno, another guy who's been hurt uh, for them. So the, the back end of the bullpen's obviously been a big question mark. Catcher, obviously they have Wilson Contreras. It came out today uh, that he's going to be missing some extended time. They signed Jonathan Lucroy uh, to a minimum deal. He's going to be coming in, but after being DFA'd twice this year, I really don't think he's going to be a huge uh, impact bat. Uh, in Chicago, so we'll see kind of how he fits in there. They bring in Nick Castellanos at the deadline uh, mm-hmm. because out in outfield, Albert Almora Jr. really hasn't been all that impactful with the bat. Certainly a good fielder, uh, but they bring in Castellanos who can play center field. He's been out there with Schwarber and Hayward. Who Hayward's having a bounce back year, 822 OPS in his own right. Very good for him. Um, but really, it's just nobody's necessarily. I guess no unit has really stood out. You know, we we look at the. 
uh, Yankees and that, that lineup up top to bottom is just stacked. We look at the Indians. They have great starting pitching. We look at the Astros. They have great starting pitching and hitting. Uh, you the same with the Dodgers. And those are all teams that rank within the top three, four, five teams in the league in those respective categories. But you look at the Cubs and what really stands out to you uh, about this team, not a whole lot in terms mm-hmm. of what its real strength is. I mean, the, the offense is certainly among the better teams in the league, certainly a top 10 offense. You could argue top eight, top six. Um, but, you know, They've been outpaced by the Dodgers and the Braves so far as far as offense goes, so you can't even call them one of the top two offensive teams in the National League. Uh, and then the pitching staff's been a huge disappointment. We already talked about the bullpen, but the rotation up and down. I mean, you have Cole Hamels having a nice season. Kyle Hendricks is doing all right, but John Lester really hasn't been the guy uh, that they've expected him to be toward the back end of his contract. Jose Quintana has had an up-and-down year. Hugh Darvish started out pretty terribly. has been doing well lately. Um, mm-hmm. Blake, you just acquired him in fantasy. I know you're I excited about it. I am um, excited. Overall, as since they signed him to a huge deal, that's another guy who got a massive contract from them, Yu uh, Darvish, at this mm-hmm. last offseason. Since being signed, he really hasn't been the guy they expected him to be. Um, certainly pitching well right now, but we'll see how long that lasts. There's just nothing that stands out to me about this team. I mean, obviously, you get look at guys like Wilson Contreras, even though he's hurt, but Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, uh, you know, Javier Baez, obviously. This looks like a very good team, very good lineup. It's a great core of young players, but they're just the supporting cast really isn't there. Ben Zobris being hurt, or sorry, going through a divorce um, and missing a lot of time, obviously that hurt, but that also allowed them to sign Craig Kimbrell, so you know they're, they're going to take that all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just don't have the supporting cast, I feel like, to really put together a team that's going to stand out from the pack. I mean, we've seen great runs by both the Cardinals and the Brewers this season. They're all keeping it very close. The Brewers obviously were the team that were in the playoffs last year, uh, you know, made it farther obviously than the Cubs did. Cardinals, who are a perennial playoff team we're used to seeing, hasn't been there in recent years, making a comeback now. I, I just, a lot of teams, a lot of people seem to think that the Cubs are just the bonafide team that's going to make it through and everybody else is fighting for a wild card. But, you know, to me, they just don't stand out as that team that really separates itself from the pack. Yeah, no, I think you said that perfectly right. I mean, there's just nothing special about them. And when you look in, in the Division too, I mean, there isn't much that really excites you about any of the five teams, really, that stands out as this extraordinary team. Uh, just fortunately, things have gone the right way for the Cubs to this point of the season that they have, uh, you know, that three-and-a-half game lead over the Cardinals and Brewers. And, you know, you know their chances to maintain that uh, through the remainder of the season have yet to be seen. But I think, you know, the, the way you look at it, after the All-Star break, you know, it's, it hasn't been a, a great stretch by any means. You know, they start off after the All-Star break with, you know, uh, three straight wins, then a loss. They follow that up later on with a three-game losing streak. Uh, they had, uh, they just had a four-game winning streak ended with a loss uh, to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Athletics, eleven to four. So, uh, you know, it hasn't just. It just seems like they're just hit or miss on in terms of. Put, uh, producing, wow, my words, maybe I'm the one that's feeling rust uh, from this <laughs> from this uh, lengthy stretch that we've had off uh, off radio, but um, yeah, it just, it nothing stands out that makes this team special, and in a division race where the four other teams just seem meh, nothing really excites you about the others, I mean, they've got star players on their teams for sure, um, but, you know, nothing just stands out, and I think, you know, 
winning this division, you know, you want to compete for the playoffs in a division spot. But as we've talked about on previous episodes, um, you know, this NL race really looks like it's going to be the Dodgers at one. Uh, and then maybe we've got some NL East teams further down the way that might be able to, you know, give them a run for their money. But if you look at this, even just the NL Central, there isn't a team that really stands out like, oh, these guys could be a real serious threat uh, to make a run in the postseason. And certainly not the Cubs, you know, despite them having that lead in the division. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the Cubs have been to the playoffs four straight years. They're a team that's, when they first won the World Series and, and, and snapped the 108-year streak of not winning a, cha- a title, I mean, you know, that seemed like the start of something. You know, we saw it with mm-hmm. the Astros, too, when they came up and won the title the year after. We are like, okay, this is the start of something. And to the Astros' credit, they made it back to the NLCS the following year, uh, losing to the Yankees in, in that, or yeah, and that was an exciting series. I mean, you know, they've certainly had some good playoff runs, um, obviously beating the Dodgers in that World Series. It was, you know, one of the most well-played World Series we've ever seen. I'm just, you know, the Cubs haven't really shown it to me in the playoffs. I mean, obviously the Dodgers being the team to go to the World Series these past two years, we're seeing an incredible run by this Dodgers organization. Dave mm-hmm. Roberts being the manager there, uh, going to back-to-back World Series in his first two seasons. An incredible feat. This is certainly a great team, but the Cubs were the team that we thought was going to be doing that every year, and you know we really haven't seen it. That's why Joe Madden is on the hot seat, oddly enough, uh, yeah. the final year of his contract. He apparently doesn't get along with the front office very well. They haven't been seeing eye-to-eye. They have, obviously, the front office put together this roster expecting it to be perennial World Series contenders. They haven't seen that. Maybe they're growing a little bit disgruntled uh, about why, you know, Madden isn't elevating them to that level. It's beyond me. He's been an outstanding manager, but at the same time, you know, you have to see the same way philosophically if you're a front office uh, and your manager. And if that's not happening, then you might have to make a change, even if he, you know, is well-liked in the clubhouse and uh, a good manager. Sometimes, you know, you have to find somebody who's seeing the same way your organization is seeing it. But regardless, I mean, you know, the the Cubs are just disappointed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're really at this point, the only expectation is that they're in the World Series. And if you don't do that, this is going to be considered a failed season. And so where do you think then that this ends up for the Cubs? Um, Like we said, you know, they have the division lead right now, but it is a tight race, uh, you know, between at least them, the Cardinals uh, and the Brewers. How do you think this fares for them if they do hold on to that division lead? You know, how far of a shot do you give them uh, in the postseason? Well, I mean, in that first round, they're going to be likely playing the Braves, uh, which Right off the bat, I don't know if they stand uh, eye-to-eye in terms of uh, the lineups. The pitching matchups, the Braves' rotation has gotten better. Obviously, they add Dallas Keuchel in there, Mm -hmm. but Mike Boltonavich hasn't been the guy that they thought he would be this year. He's been very disappointing. They even had to send him down to the minors. Uh, He's back up now. I'm not sure how how well he did in his first appearance, Um, but... You know, I, I think that in that retrospect, they are a little bit more even. If they're the, they're going to be the three seed at that point, uh, with the Braves uh, a couple games up on the Cubs right now uh, in the standings. So, you know, obviously playing that game five in Atlanta, I, I think I choose Atlanta in that series. But at the same time, you know, because Atlanta is the same thing with the Cubs. You know, that young core, a lot of great offensive players in there, right. uh, but they've got a great mix of veterans too. I think you know after last season, you know obviously not ending the way they thought it would, uh, but they surprised everybody. You know, that last year nobody was expecting the Braves to uh, make it into the playoffs at all, never mind, uh, you know, win the division. So when they did 
get there, it was almost like, okay, we're here, we're happy with this season, but now they're hungry for more, they want that next round, and I, I think the Braves are just, you know, a hungry, more exciting team uh, than the Cubs are right now, and, you know, the Cubs have a lot of guys who uh, are playing toward the end of their deals, um, you know, getting on the older side, and, you know, the Braves are just kind of like the new-look Cubs in that way, Um so, you know, I think I'd have to choose the Braves in that series. I don't right. know if I even see the Cubs getting out of the NLDS. And so if that happens and, and the Cubs, you know, have an, uh, an abrupt um, exit out of this postseason, say Joe Madden uh, does, you know, you know, doesn't continue his career with the Chicago Cubs. This is just all spec. Uh, spectacle. Uh, we're just we're just making guesses here. Um, God, how old is he at this point? He is uh, sixty-five years old. Um, what, what do you, yeah, he definitely is. God, that's my dad's age. That's, that's pretty rough. Oh, I'm going to let my dad know how old he is after this episode. But, uh, yes. but how much left would you put in his, uh, managing career and, and would any teams pop off the top of your head that you think would be an exciting enough opportunity for him to maybe try and get a couple more seasons out of his managing career? I'll tell you what's going to happen. The Mets are going to fire Mickey Callaway, and they'll oh. try everything they can to bring him. Oh in my that's god! Exactly what they exactly what the Mets would do. I, <sighs> I can see it right now, and it would be all the headlines. Joe Madden would love it. He'd be back in the news all the time. It's it's going to happen. If I mean, I can't see any more logical of a choice uh, for either side. Because look, Madden, right, like you said, he's an old man, and if he does decide to re-sign with a team and, and become a manager again. He's going to be on a team that has a shot at competing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mets, obviously, they've played very well lately. Oh, yeah. 9-1 uh, nine, nine their last 10 games. They're three games over five hundred now going into a series with the Nats this weekend. Um, you know, they're probably going to finish around five hundred at this, the end of the year, which you could justify to Joe Madden and say, look, we bring you in. That's a couple added wins. We'll make a few of these offseason moves, and you'll like what, we, what you see. Um, we'll go from there. So I, I think that's what happens. I mean, he's if he has a poor ending with the Cubs, I think he's going to want to go to another team just to prove he can still do it. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, Madden's going to want to ride off into the sunset kind of deal, you know, have uh, a, a good end of his run, even if it's not a World Series, just, mm-hmm. you know, end things on good terms and, and, you know, tip the cap, and that's the end of his career. But if the things end the way they will with the Cubs, uh, you know, the way they've been trending toward, I think he's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And, you know, we've seen him, obviously, he didn't get retained by the Rays uh, when he went to the Cubs and, you know, came back with a, with a vengeance. So I could see him doing the same thing, and I think the Mets would be a hilarious fit for him. I, yeah, that's a hilarious fit, just as you said, and I love that you didn't even waste a second after I I asked that question to think <laughs> about possible opportunities, because as soon as you said it, too, I mean, it just seems like a, a fit it that I feel like... makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, right both now. sides would be interested in it. The Mets would want to go big with their managing hire. Madden would, like mm-hmm. you said, would love the attention of being in the New York media. Um, wow. All right. Well, we got to at least stamp mark this statement uh, for when it does happen it's uh, happening. later yeah, it's this happening. year so we can pull it out and say that you said this here on August 7th. Um, so I think that'll wrap up about our Cubs uh, talk. Is there anything else you wanted to put in there about the team before we uh, switch topics? All I'm going to say is my preseason World Series pick was Cardinals oh, over that's Yankees. Right. So, you know, I'm still on that Cardinals bandwagon. Yeah. It's not it's not over yet, so we'll still hold <laughs> on for that and see how things work out over the next uh month plus. But uh yeah, so let's let's turn things over to the American League now and this is a team that has is so near and dear to my heart and I feel like we haven't even really spent 
a topic through, I believe, maybe 18, 19 episodes now. I don't think we've talked about the Yankees yet, have we? I think we've had one. Maybe time. just maybe we just were, one discussion. I think we were talking about the injuries, which is hilarious because that's exactly here what we we're are. Talking about because now. here we are <laughs> in the uh, early stages of August, and let me just run through this list real quick. Miguel Andujar, uh, May twenty first, was transferred to the sixty day IL. Uh, let's keep, let's just go down the list. Out for the season, yeah. he's not returning. Dellen Batances. Hasn't played this season. Um, I just got a, uh, a notification earlier today that he did throw off a mound. Uh, so there is potential that his return could be coming in the next few weeks. Another arm to add to that bullpen. Uh, Greg Bird, Jacoby Ellsbury, no one cares about. Those might be my two least favorite Yankees. Edwin Encarnacion had a fractured bone in his right wrist. Um, as of August 4th, he was placed on the 10-day IL. He's going to be sidelined for three to five weeks. Uh, David Hale is another guy that had been one of their more rarely used bullpen arms, had been pulled up uh, to the majors inconsistently. He's on the 10-day IL. Aaron Hicks, center fielder on the 10-day IL with a right flexor strain, uh, is expected to be away from the field until sometime in September. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, who had a who had Tommy John surgery um, last season, was healing from it this entire season. He's expected to be sidelined until sometime this August. Keep going down the list. CC Sabathia uh, <clears throat> hasn't been having a great season, but was placed on the 10-day uh, <clears throat> injured list with right knee inflammation. Had a cortisone injection. He is not expected back until the middle of August. Let's keep it rolling, Matt. Gary Sanchez, groin injury, 10-day ILS with a grade 1 left groin strain. Uh, he might be activated uh, by this Friday's game against the Blue Jays. Luis Severino, the Yankees' ace at the start of the season, transferred to the 60-day IL back in July. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm coughing right now. I don't know why. Um, but uh, Luis Severino has uh, inflammation in his right rotator cuff and a grade 2 lat strain. He uh, has had multiple setbacks this season after it was assumed he might be back by July, maybe after the All-Star break. Um, at this point, it's looking like he might just be a bullpen arm come the postseason. Uh, then we go to Giancarlo Stanton. Has a strained uh, PCL in his right knee, um, and it's expected he might be returning in late August. Glaber Torres. He has not hit the IL, but the last three games for the Yankees, he has left with a core muscle injury. Um, he should be fine. Every time he's left, he's actually been rushed to the hospital, I believe, once or twice now to this point. But everything seems to be fine. Um, <clears throat> and then Luke Voigt uh, is on the 10-day IL uh, with a sports hernia. He might be out for the full season. They're trying to decide surgery, uh, if surgery is necessary. Matt, I just gave you a laundry list of injuries to some of the most important players on this Yankees team, and yet they have the second best record in the majors, 74-39, and their first place in the AL East. Um, and I, I can't explain it. I, I really can't explain what's been happening with this Yankee season, and I, I saw a t-shirt <clears throat> brought out by Barstool earlier today that best explained it. It was just next man up, and it listed all the guys that have just come up and replaced all of these injured uh, stars seemingly with with minimal effort. Gio Urshela replaces Andujar at third base. DJ LeMahieu shifts around <clears throat> all parts of the infield. He's He can play first through third. Uh, he's been, you know, one of the, you know, 
better bats in baseball this year. People have talked about him as an AL MVP candidate uh, for this Yankees team. He was a bargain steal. You've got guys uh, that have been coming up like Domingo Herman, who has been huge for the starting pitching rotation. You've got Mike Talkman, who we were talking about earlier today in a group chat, um, who is hitting... <coughs> wow, these coughs keep coming in. Who is hitting 299 with 10 home runs and 30 RBIs in just 60 games. The list goes on and on. Cameron Mabin has been stepping up in a huge way. Mike Ford has stepped up recently. Um, I, Matt, what do we make of the injuries for this Yankees team and how they've still been able to sustain you know, one of the best records in baseball? I mean... It's a good problem to have, you know, for a team, <laughs> yeah. uh, for Aaron Boone to have to come in here uh, at the end of the season and put together a playoff lineup, assuming all of these guys who aren't out for the year are back in time. I mean, it's going to be really tough uh, to cut some of these guys out of there. Like, you know, you've had guys like Mike Talkman, who's been hitting so well, 934 OPS in 60 games this year and a 145 OPS plus. He's hitting the crap out of the ball, 10 home runs on the season, uh, 36 RBIs. It's It's been hilarious to watch, right? But then when you know you get Giancarlo Stanton back, it's not like you can keep him out there. You know, you go to first base, you got Luke Voigt, who's just been killing it. DJ LeMayu is having to move around literally you know, they signed him to be this utility Swiss Army knife, but they had no idea the kind of impact that he would make this year. Uh, easily been the MVP of the Yankees so far this season. Uh, it, up and down, I mean, he's had an outstanding year, and we, he's already won a batting title with Colorado, had a great career, but a lot of people expected him to regress coming out of uh, the friendly confines of Denver and the thin air up there, but nope, he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, one of the best players in the American League this year. If it weren't for you know the historic season uh, that Mike Trout is having, we might be talking about LeMayu as an MVP candidate, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just been up and down this lineup. Everybody's had to kind of shift gears take other jobs, uh, do things they might not be comfortable doing, having to be you know, the guy in the middle of the lineup sometimes when they really weren't expecting uh, to have that kind of role. They're filling it well. I mean, it's, it's great uh, to see an, a lineup really just adapt the way it has. And you get guys like Cameron Mabin coming in here in his age 32 season after really being very up and down uh, with the Angels and Tigers over the past couple years. Uh, you know, he's just absolutely outstanding in his short sample size. Austin Romine has been very viable while Gary Sanchez has been on the IL. And before that, Sanchez was even slumping, and Romine was honestly making a case to be playing a little bit more with how well he was hitting uh, before Sanchez went down. So nobody's really complaining necessarily about having to play him. Up and down this lineup, it's so deep. Uh, and when we get to the postseason, I mean, obviously – the rotation has a lot of question marks, but with how good mm-hmm. of the bullpen that good of a bullpen the Yankees have, coupled with the lineup that really is top to bottom the deepest in all of baseball, I I, I can't bet against them. Honestly, you know, at this point in the season, obviously the Astros loaded up adding Zach Granke at the deadline, but right. you know the the Yankees are such a good team. I think they're right there with them, even if the record and run differential aren't necessarily at the same place. They just haven't played with the complete roster, uh, been able to gel on a weekly basis. Uh, because guys have just been swapping in and out all season. Once they finally get some continuity, playing with the same guys at the end of the year, you know, I'm I'm really afraid of what this team can do. Yeah, I think that's just the one thing that's you know just this entire season is I I've been waiting for the let's see what the Yankees are like when everybody is healthy, and we just haven't gotten that. And the injuries have been piling up recently that we might not see that for the rest of the season. We might not get a point where everyone is healthy. And in my head, I've been trying to look at what, you know, lineups would be like, you know, 
I've gotten to a point, uh, if, if say that Edwin Encarnacion um, and Luke Voigt both aren't available for the start of the postseason, um, I think the best way to switch that around is to put LeMayhew at first base. You've got Gliber, uh, Didi, and Gio Urshela as, as the rest of your infielders. Talkman has been so great defensively for the Yankees in left field. I would just keep him there, and I would move Stanton back to the DH because when uh, when the season began, um, you know, Giancarlo was getting uh, a lot of time playing in left field after spending most of the season beforehand just as the DH. Um, and and as much as you know, I don't I don't think he's a bad uh, you know outfielder. I just think what you're getting from Talkman right now, I just think at the level that he's at, that I wouldn't want to replace a guy like that and especially it's different if Luke Voigt and Edwin are back because then you you know you want to have one of those bats in the lineup at the DH spot and then you can move Giancarlo back to the outfield because you can't you know unless you're going to move away from Gio Urshela who tonight we're recording this on Wednesday night he has two home runs already tonight against the Orioles I know it's the (laughs) Orioles but he's just So, like you were saying, so many of these players just have come out of nowhere to have brilliant seasons for the Yankees. Um, To me, the offense, I have there there should be no worries about. um, But it's it's like you said, you know, the only worry that I have, and I don't know why, but as maybe I'm just my Knicks fandom is leaking over to the Yankees. I'm just so pessimistic about this Yankees team for some reason, and it all comes back to the to the rotation. Um, But I, I feel like. Say there's a chance that Severino and Batances can get back, and maybe both of them, maybe Severino is just coming out of the bullpen. How long do you need your starters to go? Like, I, I want to, I just want to ask you that. If if you need, uh, let's say Domingo Herman, James Paxton, and Masahiro Tanaka, how long do you need each of them to go before you turn it over to the bullpen? Because when you've got your bullpen full of guys like. Let's just go through Adam Adovito, Chad Green, Zach Britton, Tommy Canely, Aroldis Chapman, and then you also could add guys like Batances and Severino. How long do you need your starters to go? I don't even know what the approach would be like in that situation. Well, I, I mean, I think with how deep this bullpen is, you can be willing to put your guys out there uh, in the fifth inning. So you would, like, you would like to see these guys, Tanaka, Haverman, yeah. and Paxton, if that is your four uh, going out there in, in, the, in the playoff rotation, you'd like to see them each go at least five, six innings, uh, give you a three-run ball ball game. That should give you uh, the range of being able to compete because you'd like to think that the bullpen can hold the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd like to think that the offense is going to score at least three or four runs. But, you know, that's the thing is is what if you get vintage Verlander out there, man, and you, you get one run yeah. in eight innings. You just don't stand a chance, you know? No. And, and as good as your lineup's going to be, you're, you're, nobody's going to stop something like that. Garrett Cole, same thing. Zach Greinke, same thing. I mean, you just look at that right there. I mean, having a great bullpen is super important for the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. It is vital, uh, especially when you have you know tired starters who have been pitching 200-plus innings uh, all season and they're not able to go that 7th, 8th inning, maybe like you've seen them do in years past or in that season earlier that season they're just not able to do it at the end of the year you know you're going to need those bullpen guys to come in and spell them a couple innings but at the end of the day you're going to get the bulk of your innings from your starters uh and having that big rotation like the Astros have it just gives them such a leg up i mean you know mm-hmm. you might not even be facing them what if you're facing the indians which is uh more than likely for the first round um where are we at in terms of the american league standings uh, uh i have, have them the right here I've got so the American League standings. We've so got Yankees Astros are tied. 
Oh, so, yeah. So you go against the Twins, I take the Yankees in that series. The Twins starting rotation doesn't necessarily scare me, but with the way the Indians' offense has been playing a lot lately, and you know mm. they're, they're obviously beating up on the Twins. They swept them in a doubleheader today. Right. I think I'd pick the Indians' rotation in that situation. The Indians' bullpen has pitched very well this year, uh, and that lineup has been coming alive after such a slow start to the year. It really was the, the hitting that was the problem uh, for Cleveland at the start of the year. Now that, that now that that lineup's clicking, Francisco Lindor is such a force in the middle of the lineup. Jose Ramirez has started to actually play well. You know, I, I, I think I'd pick the Indians in that series. Wow. Uh, you look at the, Ray, the Rays. Rays have just as good a bullpen as the Yankees. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's tough to pick the Yankees because of the rotation. It, it does suck, but... Um, you know, I think against any team that tries to match up with the Yankees bat for bat, the Yankees come out on top. So it really comes down to the starting pitching for me. Um, and in rotations as deep as the Astros and Indians, which are two of the deepest rotations in the league, um, I'd have to side with them over the Yankees. But, uh, you know, maybe I, I could be talked to them beating the race, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we see Tanaka put together a vintage performance, Domingo Ramon pitching as well as he has, if Severino comes back, obviously. Uh, that would be huge. CC has been proven in the playoffs. Maybe you get him going. You know, there there are certainly a lot of avenues for the Yankees to beat a team like the Rays. Um, but uh, as far as pitching goes, I mean, pitching's king in the postseason. That's what they always say. And you need, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of these teams don't just have one ace anymore. Uh, you know, they're, you're looking at teams with two or three, and the Yankees don't even have one. So, you know, that it just comes into question, are the Yankees built for the postseason or are they built for the regular season? Mm-hmm. And I think... As of the, the standings, they're certainly built for the regular season. I don't know if they're built for the playoffs. Okay, so you've reassured me for being pessimistic about the Yankees. I, yes. I feel and more I, I feel more comfortable being that way. <laughs> and it, honestly, I think it's a good thing to be a little bit pessimistic about your team because then you don't get your hopes up too much. I've seen that happen with myself so many times. Yeah. Um, only to be crushed just terribly in so many terrible ways. Right, um, and I feel like a huge part <laughs> of it comes into, too, is that – I. The reason I'm also just pessimistic is I I take a look at the division, and yes, the Rays have been an extremely good team this year, and we have definitely uh, had the better edge on them so far this year, but I mean, God, the Orioles might be the worst team in baseball. I mean, the the Yankees just set an MLB record for the most home runs against a team in one season. They've hit uh, 51 home runs against the Orioles this year. Uh, They've beaten down on the Blue Jays. Uh, We just saw them take advantage of the Red Sox this past weekend. Um, you know, the competition in the rest of the AL has certainly been interesting, but, you know, I, I just think you have so many games that are against some of some really bad teams. And like I said, you know, their, their offense has taken advantage of some poor, uh, pitching outings by the opposing teams in the AL East. Um, you know, it, it just worries me and, and it does come down to the, to the pitching rotation. And from what I've watched this year with the Yankees, I do really have a lot of faith in Domingo Herman. Um, my biggest thing that I like about him is that I just haven't seen him really get rattled at a point. He seems almost a bit just emotionless on the mound. Um, and yes, his batting average, his uh, opposing batting average the third time through the rotation is not where you want it to be. Um, it's certainly not great. But say by that point, you can switch it over to the bullpen. I feel comfortable with that. Paxton has been in a slump that I haven't liked. He did have a good outing today against the Orioles, but like I was saying, it's the Orioles. Um, <clears throat> definitely a strikeout guy. And then Tanaka, yeah, I you know I'm just I haven't been the biggest fan of Tanaka um, in his time with the Yankees. He certainly has had his great outings, but 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens. To me, I think it all ends uh, against the Astros, and I'm sure, you know, as of right now, you might feel that way too, especially with all the injuries to this team. I would expect them, and maybe I'm maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but I would expect them to get past, um, you know, whether it is uh, Cleveland or uh, Minnesota or Tampa, uh, like we were talking about. But I don't know. I, I think it I do, it does end at Houston because they they just can't match up with Verlander, Cole, and Greinke. I mean, this is they look like a super team. You know, we've been talking all year about how the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, and then when that trade happened, Dude, I mean, all the power flipped. rankings flipped. I mean, it, it's it's all the Astros now. And Zach Greinke didn't even pitch well in his first start, gave up five runs, and he was laughing in the dugout because of, quote, how easy it is, end quote, yeah. uh, to win games in, in Houston because of how good their lineup is. I mean, they, they, he gave him five runs and got the win. I mean, that's pretty crazy. So this is a, a deep team. You know, that lineup hasn't also been at full force this year. They've dealt with some injuries throughout the year. Springer right. and Altuve um, have both been on the IL at certain points. You know, they're finally getting all their guys back. I, I can't pick against the Astros, and then I can't pick against the Dodgers either. I mean, I think we're on a collision course for the two of them yeah. to have a rematch in the World Series. But, Easily. Uh, you know, and barring some kind of upset. But the Yankees... If we had to pick a third team, you know, next between the two of them, I'd probably go with the Yankees. I mean, the Twins have been so up and down this year, um, and they really haven't gotten any separation from Cleveland. Uh, Atlanta has certainly been uh, a much better team um, in the second half, um, really been able to separate themselves, still six games up on the Nats, uh, despite how well Washington has played. I'm, I'm, I think the Yankees are the clear-cut number three team, but I mm-hmm. still don't think they're in the same tier as the top two. No, they're definitely not, and, uh, and unfortunately, I feel like as much excitement there has been around this team, and, and just from watching every every single night, because I have nothing else to do in my free time, um, I just the, the excitement that goes throughout a team when you've got these guys just coming out of nowhere. I mean, even you've got, you know, Kyle Higashioka, who had a three-run bomb tonight against the Orioles. You've got a guy like Brevik Valera, who just came up for a few games... Um, and hit, uh, sorry, you know, had three RBIs in a series against the Boston Red Sox. Like, you just have all these guys that are coming up in big moments that aren't expected to do so. And so, you know, however this season ends for the Yankees, of course I want them to to win a World Series. I don't think it's that likely, but, you know, this season has just been such an exciting ride because it's come from the most unexpected people, and it's it's just been amazing to watch. I really do love all of the guys on this team right now. And, and you know... We're not going to be able to keep all of them. You know, Andujar's coming back, so that's going to affect Gio Urshela. Uh, DJ LeMahieu does have another year in his contract, so I'm not worried about that. They'll figure out a way to work him around. But Encarnacion might have to go. Um, certainly we're going to figure out what's going on in the outfield. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I've really enjoyed this Yankees team, uh, you know, regardless of how their season ends up. Yeah, I mean, it's been a fun year in the year of the home run. It's a great oh, yeah. time for the Yankees to put together such a dynamic home run lineup. So, you know, we'll see if, if home runs really are what, what the MLB wants <laughs> to rule the postseason. Maybe that is, you know, the, the Yankees are, have something in, you know, in mind here that we've, we've been thinking about. So right. we'll see kind of what happens uh, in the postseason. But, yeah, it, it's they're an exciting team. And, Definitely. You know, I a lot of everyone hates the Yankees. I know, um, <laughs> but I will admit, before the Nats moved to DC, my grandfather was grooming me to be a Yankees fan. I had a whole bunch of Yankees gear. We were so um, close to having you. So, so close. close, man. So, so close. close. But I... then 2005 happened, and the yeah. Nats 
took over. So, you know, no going back. No going back for you. And no going back on these predictions that we're about to have on the NFC That's North. Right. Uh, Matt, it's time. I'm, let's kick off these segments. Let's start where it's going. How do you want to break this down in teams? Do you want to go team by team and go back and forth? Do you want to start and give all your four teams and, and then I'll go with my four? How do you want to do this? Um, let's go. Let's start with the team with the worst record last year and go up from there. Okay, um, I like then- that. We'll go team by team, and I think we talked about um, talking about plus minus. We'll get the Vegas plus minus and say our over under. We'll pick an offensive and defensive MVP and the biggest question marks surrounding each team. Um, and then at the end, when we finish all four, we can go over which two which teams we think make the playoffs. Uh, if mm-hmm. at, uh, did we one or two? Or three, I thought I we decided on just three storylines. Is that correct? I thought I thought we had talked about just doing uh, doing three things and then pick a record and say whether or not they make the playoffs. We can do that too. I think Sounds that I think me. that was our last <laughs> I think that was our last conversation uh, in the in the in our text. All right. Well, I blacked out for that text, but I'll I'll go with three storylines, and we'll start with the Lions. Uh, the Lions obviously have been a, a mediocre team uh, over the past. Gosh, how long has it been since they actually had a running back? Uh, I'm just kidding, Bennett. Uh, we have a loyal listener, Bennett Conlon, <laughs> who's a big Lions fan, and I told him to listen oh, off the poor, podcast, so he will. Poor Bennett. Um, I know, I know. Uh, being a Lions fan, man, I can't even imagine. Yeah, that's got to be rough. Be like. Hey, Bennett, thank but, you for sending the Colts Eric Ebron. I had a really oh, good yeah. time with Eric Ebron this past season. <laughs> but so, but they got Luke Hawkinson, bro. They have the TJ, tight end of the TJ. future. TJ. See <laughs> All right, well, the Lions finished 6-10 and last year, uh, the worst record in the NFC North. And coming into this year, uh, we don't really hear a whole lot. I was telling Bennett, we don't really hear, we haven't heard a whole lot from them this offseason. They haven't been making a lot of headlines. But, Blake, what is the number one thing you're thinking about going into this year with Detroit? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just how is Matt Stafford going to be in the second year with this new offensive system? Um, Basically throughout the entire first portion of Matthew Stafford's career, a part where I considered him one of the best quarterbacks in the league, um, certainly talent-wise, he was in an offense that was just very loosely structured. It was a lot of pressure on him, but he did very well in a non... um, really technical offense where it was just a lot of free balling and just doing things on his own, uh, scrambling around, making plays himself. And then you get into a belichick type led team where it's all very precise. And he didn't have the best season by any standards. Probably had one of the worst seasons uh, of his career, in my opinion. And so I think what the what we need to figure out is has he adjusted to the new look of the offense and how that's going to change for him? Because it's certainly going to be um, a huge part in this game. He's certainly one of the best players on that team. Um, it's just going to decide whether whether or not the offensive playbook is going to be tailored to Matthew Stafford or if he's got a better understanding of how he needs to perform under that scheme. That's that's my biggest thing uh, with the, with their season. Well, we saw that Matt Stafford can chug a beer uh, as well as any (laughs) other quarterback in the NFL. So we at least know he's still got some balls. Um, He actually, I've been a great fan of Matt Stafford throughout his career. I mean, you know, we talk about a player who's thrown for a 5,000-yard season, which is becoming more and more common. I get it. It's going to become more of a thing, uh, more of a benchmark necessarily than an achievement uh, at some point. 
uh, as the NFL's offensive schemes continue to expand. But, you know, Stafford was one of the first to do it uh, and, you know, has had a, a great career. He just really hasn't, you know, since Calvin Johnson left, I really haven't been impressed with the offensive talent that he's had around him. But uh, a lot of people are very optimistic about this offensive unit. You know, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones in the uh, either side of the field, Danny Amendola uh, in the slot. You got Hawkinson, the, the rookie tight end, which, you know, we don't expect a whole lot out of tight ends at, in their rookie season. And that's far and away the biggest uh, offensive rookie that the Lions brought in this year. So I wouldn't say that they made any huge additions through the draft that way. Um, but, you know, they expect a lot of good things from him. But you also have Jesse James there. They have a very deep tight end core. on Johnson, who you're expecting to take a step forward uh, now that he has a lion's share, no pun intended, of the carries. <laughs> C.J. Anderson behind him, uh, who was great for the Rams last year um, when – they weren't getting enough out of Todd Gurley. So, you know, there are a lot of good offensive pieces on there. And I think, you know, my biggest thing as far as the offense goes is carry on Johnson. What are we going to see out of him? Mm. Uh, what is his ceiling? You know, we haven't really seen the Lions uh, rushing attack stand out uh, among the league. Can he take that step forward uh, here in his, you know, second full season? I'm excited uh, for what we can see from him. And I think, you know, he's the biggest X factor on this uh, Lions offense. Yeah, and that's funny because that transitions into kind of the second thing that I was thinking about when looking at the Lions. And uh, for all of you football geeks out there, I would suggest um, buying a very talented man's book that he has got for the upcoming season, Warren Sharp's uh, 2019 Football <laughs> Preview. Dude, I, I can't get enough of this book. Um, he really breaks down all the advanced analytics of each team in the NFL and how um, what trends in the league uh, teams aren't picking up on, what they are picking up on. And for the Lions, the biggest thing that stood out to him was the fact that they are still stuck in some of the older ways of the NFL. The NFL has transitioned into a very pass-happy happy league, um, yet the Lions had some of the worst success rates on early down rushes. Um, teams have become more okay with passing on first and ten, um, passing on second and, and eight, things like that, where you used to have the standard, oh, it's first and ten, we're going to run, try and get four yards to set up second and six. Oh, we're going to try run four yards, now we're stuck at th third and two. We could do a short pass or maybe another run to try and get the first down. The NFL hasn't been working uh, in that favor anymore, and uh, you know if you want to look at the Lions' um, success rate, uh, they only had a 45% success rate on first down runs, 45% on second down runs, and 41% on third down runs. On first down runs, they averaged four yards a carry, um, and and the uh, NFL average run rate is up t closer uh, towards over 50, uh, 52%. So they haven't really found success on running in early downs, and they haven't really been transitioning to a league that passes on early down situations. So... Um, as much as I was saying that it, you need to figure out the way for Matthew Stafford, I think a lot of it needs to come into these early down opportunities for the Lions to take advantage of, of the way that some of the more successful offenses in the NFL have been picking up. I really think that the you know one of the bigger trends in this league is early down success rate in the passing game. The Lions have been one of the teams that really haven't been focusing on that too much, and I feel like that's going to be a huge uh, jump uh, for them in terms of success if they decide to switch to that trend. 
for me, number two has got to be that defensive line. You know, obviously Matt Patricia coming in uh, with that Bill Belichick type attitude. We expect them to really be a smash mouth type football team, and it really wasn't what we saw out of the Lions last year. There were some people even coming out and complaining uh, about how he ran practices and how they were too hard. Um, you know, give me a break, your NFL players. I think at this point, uh, you know, if you uh, you know, if you're Matt Patricia, you got to get these guys to buy in uh, to what you're trying to sell. Uh, and I think that starts with the defensive line, which is supposed to be one of the most uh, dominant units in this entire roster. Uh, you have guys like Trey Flowers and Damon Harrison who have yet to practice so far this training camp. Deshaun Hand is out with a left arm injury. Mike Daniels, they just signed from the Packers. He has yet to practice um, coming into today. So, you know, you got to get these guys gelling. you got to get these guys going. But, I mean, the... You look at the ceiling of these guys, this unit. I mean, Mike Daniels is one of the most underrated defensive linemen in football. Trey Flowers has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, I'm really impressed with this group, and I think it has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly going to be interesting to see how that defense works. And Matt Patricia uh, with that defensive unit as well, of course, with all the experience that he's had in New England. Uh, my my final thing, and, and with each of these teams, what I did was two basic topics, and then I, I did a breakdown of their schedule. And one of the biggest things that I find interesting about teams is how they rebound from slow starts. And, you know, for the Lions, it's going to be unfortunate because they probably have one of the worst, toughest starts uh, in the NFL this season. Uh, they, you know, they do start off with a light game against the Cardinals that I would expect them to win, but then they've got uh, home games against the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Vikings, and they have to travel on the road to play Philadelphia and Green Bay. All of those games are within the first seven weeks. Weeks we could be looking at a Detroit Lions start that is around one in five, and that can just be such a demoralizing impact uh, in the locker room that even when it gets to a point where they're playing Washington in Week 12 or Tampa Bay in Week 15, um, certain games like that might not be able to go their way depending on how just bad of a start they've got. They still have to play Chicago twice in Weeks 10 and 13. They have to play Dallas Week 11. The schedule really isn't playing in their favor, um, and I feel like that could be a huge factor on how they're able to fare against some of these maybe lighter teams in in the second half of their schedule. Yeah, I mean, for me looking at their schedule. It's just how they compete against the rest of the division. I mean, the NFC North is one of the de- deepest divisions in football this season. Uh, you know, you go up and down the Bears, Packers, Vikings, all three teams that have sights set on making deep playoff runs this year. Obviously, the Packers and the Vikings uh, not having made the playoffs last year, but those are both teams that we've seen uh, in recent years be parts of the playoffs. Um, and ha- they both have, uh, well, Green Bay has an excellent quarterback. Minnesota, uh, we'll get to Kirk Cousins in a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> you know, these both, those, all three of those teams are, are, are teams that really have a realistic shot of making it to the Super Bowl. I just don't know if the Lions can match up with that. Uh, you know, if you get shut out or, or five to one difference in the division, you might as well dig your grave now. Yeah. Um, you're really going to have to at least split with those rest of the teams if you're going to have any chance of competing in the NFC North. All right, so yeah, those are my those are our three biggest things. I'm just going to come out and say it. As much as uh, I am a fan of Matt Patricia, I do still have the Lions uh, finishing last in the division this year. I do still have them going six and ten, so no improvements. Um, I do think that you know that just the way that they start out that schedule is just way too ridiculous to rebound, especially when you've still got tough teams in the division. You have to play, uh, you have to play. Uh, Divisional teams four times in the last seven weeks, and even if those are a toss-up, maybe those are a little more competitive, I still think that those other teams might be riding uh, stretches too high. Um, I've got the Lions finishing last, 6-10, and ten, missing the playoffs. So the Lions over-under this year, according to Bavada, is 7, 
this year, and I'm going to have to make the smart play and go with the under. I think they're going to go six and ten as well, Blake. You, there we go, you know, right on the header. There, I mean, you know, they're they're not worse certainly, um, but I don't think there's anything that really stands out. The team taking that step forward. What worries me about the Lions long term is I feel like for any team to really you know become part of the elite, they kind of have to bottom out. Um, I don't see the Lions bottoming out. I see them staying in the middle of the pack, and I'm worried. Um, you know, they're kind of already in this territory, but you know, they're getting into Dolphins, Titans area where they're really not going to uh, be able to move any up much higher. They might sneak in the playoffs every now and then, but they're not going to be you know any kind of powerhouse team uh, unless they get some really smart drafts in. So we'll see uh, how the Lions do this year, but I'm not expecting more than six wins. All right, so we both have them at 6-10, and ten, missing the playoffs. Uh, we'll go to the team that finished third in the NFC North this past season. That was the Green Bay Packers, who were just a half a game ahead of the Detroit Lions, finishing 6-9-1. and one. Lots of changes in Green Bay, and, and that's where I'm starting with my first topic with the Packers, is uh, the impact that Matt LaFleur's offense will have on this team. Um, Mike McCarthy is out of the building, and his boring... Uh, very bland offensive schemes are a thing of the past. And, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur got a lot of crap uh, for maybe his bland offenses in Tennessee, but I also think that that played a role from Matt LaFleur. Um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, not Matt LaFleur. Mike Vrabel, uh, head coach in, in Tennessee, definitely likes things his certain way. It's that Belichick tree. I think he wanted a little bit more ground and pound with a Derrick Henry in Tennessee, things like that. Um, with Green Bay this year, I mean, when you've got Aaron Rodgers at your quarterback, you need to be pass-heavy. Um, and, and as much as, you know, I think Aaron Jones is a talented running back and I like their offensive line, uh, I think that, you know, just we have to take a look at... we. You have to think that this offense is going to operate at a much higher level than it did the past few seasons. I think Aaron Rodgers um, is one of those guys that definitely likes to, to you know free ball it and just let loose, uh, roll out on a bunch of plays and, and extend the plays and do things his own way. And I know there has been reported friction between him and LaFleur, but I'm sure that they are going to figure this out because the goal is to have a successful offense and they'll find a perfect blend of that. Um, you know, that's my, Matt LaFleur's impact on this offense is, is the most important topic to me heading into this season. I have to agree with you. I mean, he's, obviously brought in to shake things up and as tough as that might be with Aaron Rodgers I think you know so far he's done a pretty good job with it from what we've seen on the outside uh heard from various podcast reports and things like that it seems like the offense isn't clicking yet but he's okay with that uh, because it's complicated and he just wants them to get it right rather than uh try to you know get it most of the way and then give up so apparently they're still working on uh formulating this offense but you know one thing I think Bridging off of that, you know, my number one thing is Matt LaFleur, but my number two, uh, going with a running back again, is Aaron Jones. We saw uh, in Tennessee with the amount of usage that the running game had and Derrick Henry obviously breaking out toward the end of the year uh, and all the carries he was getting, Aaron Jones led the league. He only played 12 games. He led the league with 5.5 yards per attempt last season uh, and has actually averaged that over his entire career, uh, which is a total of 24 games over 1,000 yards rushing. I mean, you know, that's that's a pretty good sample size. So you start feeding Aaron Jones the ball. Uh, they have a great rushing offensive line. I'm, I'm more than you know, I'm all in on that Aaron Jones trade, and you know, I think he's a great low, uh, low-key sleeper, uh, third-round, fourth-round pick uh, in fantasy right now. So mm-hmm. uh, I would scoop him up for sure with this new offense. Yeah, certainly. And I'm going to switch things over to the defensive side because when you have so much turnover 
on one side of the football. It can either go really well or really bad. And, and a big part of that goes into what type of offenses you play in the first you know month or so of your schedule because there are so many guys that are getting used to playing on the field together. It, it doesn't just instantly work out from day one. So there is going to be some early, um, you know, growing pains. And, you know, you just look at some of the guys that they've lost along the way. They lost Rashad Breeland, Clay Matthews, Jake Ryan, Kentrell Bryce, uh, Quinton Dial, and then they lost Mike Daniels uh, a couple weeks ago when they cut him. And then they brought in Adrian Amos, Zadarius Smith, uh, Preston Smith, And so that's a lot of turnover for one defensive unit. And, uh, of course, they've got rookie draft picks coming in as well. They they brought in Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage. Uh, You bring in Kingsley Kiki from Texas A&M. Some later picks in the 6th and 7th round as well. There's so much turnover on that defense. Um, You know, fortunately enough for them, there's only one or two offenses in their first six weeks that really worry me. I think the Bears have a very intricate offense, and I also think Philadelphia will have a very talented offense this year. But the offenses for you know the Vikings, the Broncos, the Lions, and, and Dallas's is good, don't get me wrong, but I'm not too worried about them uh, as the Packers try and get their feet, uh, you know, try and get comfortable with their defense. Um, so, But I do think that that's going to be a, a huge period for them to figure things out because I do think that this defense has a chance to be very talented uh, heading into this season. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time we talked about the defense being the strength uh, of the Packers? It really has been a while and something that it's always seemed like Aaron Rodgers has had to overcome. Uh, so if we start talking about Green Bay defense that's among the you know the better teams in the NFC, you know that's that's really scary for the rest of the league uh, and what this this team is capable of. Uh, the player I want to highlight, Adrian Amos, who's been outstanding uh, with Chicago. Him coming over to a division rival, you can't understate how important that is for a player. You might think that uh, oh, it's not as big a deal. It is a big deal. You know, they come in here, they have to play that team twice in one season every year. You know, he's going to be going into those games the chip on his shoulder. He, he got paid. I'm I'm all in on Adrian Amos, and, you know, they've had some injuries in the secondary so far in camp, but uh, I think this is a pretty deep group, uh, one that we're going to be seeing a lot of different mixed packages with um, out of defensive, coordi- defensive coordinator Mike, is it Petten or Patin? Mike Petten. Petten, Petten yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of different units out of him uh, with this defense, so I- I'm really excited, and Amos is going to be uh, one of the leading interception guys uh, in the back of that unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so my third thing for them, like I said, I'm going to take a look at their schedule. And, and you know, it's it's not that bad. You know, you do have to, you know, travel in consecutive weeks, in weeks 8 and 9, to play the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers. I think that's a very tough stretch to have. Um, but fortunately, around it, they have some light games. Week 6 and 7, they play Detroit and Oakland. After that, it's Carolina and then their bye week. They also get the benefit of playing the Lions twice. They play the Broncos. Uh, the Giants and Washington, it really comes down to how they do against the top two teams in the NFCs, the Cowboys and the Eagles, um, and those two weeks against Kansas City and the Chargers, and then, you know, a toss-up in the division, um, you know, with those two games, they start off uh, back-to-back weeks to start off their season against the Bears and the Vikings, and then back-to-back against the Bears and the Vikings in week 15 and 16, Um those are the eight games that I feel like at the at the very worst maybe they go a, a three and five, but I really do think it's at least a four and four and above, and I think that plays a huge role in how this Packers uh, season will shape up for them. And my final topic here is who is going to be the number two receiver 
hmm. uh, for Aaron Rodgers. We have Devontae Adams as the obvious number one in Green Bay. Uh, has been absolutely outstanding since being drafted in 2014. But who's going to be behind him? I mean, Mar- right. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has gotten rave reviews in camp so far this year. Um, but Geronimo Allison was kind of the guy before he went down, I believe it was a concussion last year, uh, and missed a bunch of games. So he wasn't able to really separate himself from the pack. We had Economius St. Brown as well. You got also guys like Trevor Davis and Jay Kumaro in the mix. I mean, for me, nobody really stands out. Valdez-Scantling has gotten the best reviews in camp so far. Um, but it's really going to be, you know, I think Rodgers is just going to, let, let a lot of these guys show them on the field who's going to be trusted, uh, for, trusted for these deep balls, trusted for uh, tight windows, and whoever comes through making the catches, who's going to get all the targets. So look on for these first couple games in the season of you know who's making the, the, the tighter catches because that's probably going to be who's going to have that job uh, throughout the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as weird as it is to say in such a tight division – uh, with the Green Bay Packers, I have them making probably one of the biggest jumps uh, in the NFL in terms of win columns. I actually have them uh, finishing atop the division. I've got them going 11-5 this season, and I definitely think they're headed for the postseason at the very least. I also think, I just want to put it out there, I think at it, it, the very least Aaron Rodgers finishes in the top three for MVP voting. I think this match with LaFleur is going to go extremely well. Um, and I think as long as the defense can get through those first five weeks um, and get comfortable with each other, I think this is going to be one of the better teams in the NFC. Yeah, I agree with you. They're going to be a, a top. The NFC is one of the best teams in the league. I'm going with 13-3 and three this year. Oh, wow. I'm expecting big things out of the Packers. I thought I was I really bold. think that... No, I'm I'm going all in. I mean, I actually went all in on him last year, and you know, Rodgers doesn't miss the playoffs. You know, three years in a row. That's mm-hmm. just not something that's going to happen. I think it's a lock that they're going to make the postseason. But I really think that the Packers are the clear cut best team in the NFC North. It's not even a debate in my opinion, uh-huh. um, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, well, I guess not a second when we talk about the Bears uh, and my thoughts on them, but. Overall, uh, I really like this roster. I think it really does come down to, you know, how does the, the, the depth hold up in the secondary? How about that wide receiver core? Who's going to step up? They can get a couple of guys to be some playmakers there. Aaron Jones lean on in the run game more, that, more so than the Packers have on any kind of run game in the past. I'm really excited for what this unit can do. It's got a lot of tricks up its sleeve, and I think they go 13-3 and three in 2019. I like it. So so far we're 2-2 two for two picking – Picking, uh, you know, well, we matched up with the Lions records. We did match up with the Packers, but we did both pick them to win the division. Uh, let's carry yes. that right on yes. and see how we feel about the Minnesota Vikings, who finished second in the NFC North last year at 8-7-1. and one. Uh, Of course, they've got, uh, uh, you know, some, some interesting changes across their team this past season. But, Matt, let's start it off with you this time. Uh, what's your biggest storyline heading into this season for the Vikings? You know, I, I think it starts with Kirk Cousins. I mean, mm-hmm. he was brought in as the big marquee free agent signing last year. You know, really didn't step up in the big games. I mean, that's what we've come to expect with Kirk uh, is not being able to perform uh, under the lights. And I know there are some numbers that have that disputed, but it seems like when it comes to big situations, he just doesn't seem to be the guy that comes through. I mean, you know, he does have a 70% completion percentage last year, throws for over 4,000 yards, um, but, you know, 10 interceptions on the year, the the touchdown rate, 
um, right around his career average. It just wasn't anything spectacular. Um, you know, the offensive line did have some struggles, uh, admittedly, you know, allowing 40 sacks on the year. But, you know, it really wasn't any kind of earth-shattering uh, expectation, you know, with what he was paid uh, and what he actually turned out, and especially with such a great wide receiver core around him, uh, if not the best wide receiver duo in football and Thielen and Diggs. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook obviously dealt with some injuries, but um, you have a solid running game there. I, I, I just think that we expected more out of Kirk, and, you know, it's really just not what we got. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to stick with the offense for my biggest topic, and it, it was something that I kind of discussed with the Lions, is what is going to be the run-pass balance for the offense this year? Um, of course, uh, John DiFilippo uh, was taking over offensive coordinator duties uh, with the Vikings, and they had a lot of success to begin the season, uh, especially in the passing game. But then Mike Zimmer was very adamant on running the football, and just like that, John DiFilippo is out of a job. Uh, they bring in a new offensive coordinator, Kevin uh, Stefanski, um, who was previously their uh, quarterback coach. Uh, he will be taking over offensive coordinator responsibilities. How much is Mike Zimmer going to have a say on how this offense operates? Um, because, you know, as much as I would like to say that, you know, a, a good balance is healthy and everything, you don't have an outstanding offensive line. Dalvin Cook is definitely a good running back, but you have great uh, weapons in the receiving game and a quarterback that, you know, as much as we've talked about, you know, is he an average quarterback? What's it going to be? Things like that. Um, you know, the passing game should get the emphasis. And so I feel like the Vikings are in a really dangerous situation for falling into a hole where they're too uh, focused on running the football. And in the end, I just I don't see that being the way to win football games in 2019. My big X factor on the defensive side is none other than X himself, Xavier Rhodes, uh, the premier cornerback for this Minnesota defense and a cornerback we heard consider himself the number one corner in football entering last season, only to come in, miss a couple games, and really not put together the season. We expected out of him only one interception on the year, seven passes defended, uh, 57 combined tackles, you know, it, it, or 47, excuse me all of which were three-year lows. It really just, you know, we weren't ex we were expecting him to be the number one. He wasn't the number one uh, that we really were hoping that he could be. Uh, and this Minnesota defense is very good. They obviously bring back Anthony Barr, um, retain uh, what looked like one of the better defenses in football last year. I mean, a lot of people were talking about the Vikings as favorites to win the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people have soured on them now to mm -hmm. the point where they're completely counting them out. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. This looks like a great team uh, to be primed for a bounce-back year with guys like Rhodes, uh, who might have taken a bit of a step back last year, but only 29 years old entering this season. I'm fully expecting him to return, return uh, to what we've been used to seeing out of him at the quarterback position. Yeah, and I'm going to switch to the defense for my second topic, too. And I've talked about this, I think, we're going on three years when I've when I've talked about the Vikings heading into you know the, the 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 past three regular seasons is that they have so many stars on defense, but their depth beyond those stars is just some of it's some of the worst depth in all of football. And for the Minnesota Vikings on defense, uh, they are too reliant on their star players to play a high percentage of snaps that it does not last. Uh, you know, fully long into the season. I know it was especially bad two years ago when they had things going at an all-time rate. Vikings were clicking, and then by the end of it, their defensive line, you know, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffith, 
Griffith, uh, you know, all of those guys, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, they all just got gassed by the end, by the second half of the regular season. And by the time it was coming for the postseason, they didn't have any energy left. And not only that, they didn't have the depth behind to give those guys some rest in the postseason. Uh, so for the Vikings, they still haven't changed that uh, for me. You know, you look at some of their key additions, they are all, except for Shamar Stephen on the defensive side, uh, they're all on offense. You know, they brought in a couple guards. They brought in Sean Manning at quarterback, Jordan Taylor at wide receiver. Um, and really, if you look at the draft, they didn't def- uh, draft a defensive player until the fifth round. I think this spells huge trouble for them. I just don't see how you can rely on your star players so heavily for three consecutive years. I just feel like it's going to slowly decline for all of them. And my final topic, one of the few specialists that I'm going to be talking about in this series, Dan Bailey, Ooh. Uh, the incumbent kicker, uh, kicker for talk. the Minnesota Vikings. He really kind of dropped off last year as well. Um, not necessarily to the point where anyone should have been worried at the time, um, but let me just run you through a little bit of numbers here, Blake. Kicking percentage, uh, field goal percentage, 2015 he led the league, 93.8% with Dallas, made his only Pro Bowl of his career. Since then, it's gone to 84.4%, 75%, 75%. So a bit of a drop-off there uh, from what we were seeing out of him as being one of the elite kickers in, in all of football. Only made one field goal of 50-plus last year, only attempted two, four for nine from the 40 to 59 range. That's the worst uh, field goal percentage in that range of his career uh, that we saw out of him uh, and only playing 14 games. I'm not necessarily sure if he is going to be the answer at kicker, and we've seen some teams be absolutely outstanding, but when they don't have a good kicker in place, uh, it can really come back to haunt them. We saw it with the Bears last year, uh, and they obviously had an entire offseason spectacle, still have a competition right now in training camp to decide who's going to be the Bears kicker uh, heading into the year. But I don't know if Minnesota is just hoping that he bounces back or what, but it, you know, obviously Dan Bailey is going to be the guy going into this year, so I'm interested to see if he's still the guy by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm going to look at the schedule for my final topic with them, and God, do I hate it for the Minnesota Vikings. You know, you start off with your first two games against the Falcons and the Packers. Uh, you play those two, Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, in the first six weeks. And then, like I was saying, how I'm worried about the depth on their defense, their second half of their schedule is brutal. Uh, they play Kansas City in Week 9, Dallas in Week 10, and then between Weeks 13 and 17, they have to play in Seattle, in Los Angeles against the Chargers. They have to play at home against the Packers and finish the season against the Bears. Um, I really hate this schedule for them, and I think it's just... Sometimes when you do have something uh, where it's maybe a couple sure losses are stacked up in a row maybe that's one of those things you can get through a slump like that but when it's all spread out and you're playing teams in tough stretches just about all the point of your season it's going to be tough to build a rhythm the the biggest thing that they'd have to hope for is between weeks three and eight they do have some light games against the raiders giants lions and redskins um and then maybe if they're able to steal a game from the bears or the eagles they'll be able to really get in a groove Um, but man, that end of the schedule is rough for me. And especially if their defense isn't, um, isn't up to par by that point, I think it spells trouble for them. All right, Blake. Well, Bavada puts the Vikings at nine wins this season. Are you taking the over or the under? 
Oh, I'm definitely taking the under. And it, crazy enough to say it, I think this is a big down year for the Vikings. Um, I, as you know, I may have alluded to in my three topics, I've been very pessimistic about all three things I said. I don't think I said one good thing about them. Yeah. <laughs> I, so yeah, it, crazy enough. Um, I do think you know, out of just tiebreakers, they finish ahead of the Lions. But I do have them going uh, six and ten. Missing the playoffs, I just don't like the makeup of this team, and and you know maybe maybe Kirk Cousins gets it figured out, uh, maybe the balance on the offense is actually what's needed to really boost those things up. But I just think between, you know, like I was saying, the lack of you know depth on the defensive end, plus just a brutal schedule to have against some of the teams I think are going to be the best in the league, I got them finishing six and ten. Well. At the nine win mark, I'm going to go with the push here. I'm go. going with nine and seven. Not uh, super bullish on them necessarily. I do not have the Vikings making the playoffs in what will be a crowded NFC playoff picture. Oh yeah, uh, but I think they'll be in the hunt at nine and seven uh, come the end of the year. I think they, you know, they are definitely a scar- stars and scrubs roster. Um, but so are a lot of teams across the NFL. And you know, we've seen in years past several teams lose a few key guys and they're out of the race. That always happens to one or two teams every year. Um, uh, if, if the Vikings can stay healthy, I think they're a team that certainly can compete, but I don't know, like you said, they don't have the depth necessarily, uh, to last a full 16 games and really be a 12, you know, 11, 12, 13 win team. So I'm going with nine and seven, um, missing the playoffs, uh, just barely. So yeah, there's our first disagreement, our big disagreement, I guess, on record-wise. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you've got them with the winning record, barely. But we both do have them missing the playoffs. So I guess playoff, non-playoff, we're all in agreement here. Let's see how we finish things we're out. With, it. Yeah, let's see how we th- finish things out, though, with the Chicago Bears, who did finish last season 12-4. and Very impressive season for them. Of course, really the only downside for them last year was just the kicking woes. And God, were those... <laughs> Awfully bad and detrimental, um, you know, just especially with the double doink to finish things off. It's just a terrible way to finish your season. Um, they're coming back in this year. Uh, a lot of changes going on with the team. Um, and the biggest thing that I'm going to start off with with the Chicago Bears is the Vic Fangio effect. Uh, to me, he's the best defensive coordinator in all of football. And when he leaves your team, I'm a little bit worried about how that is going to be uh, maintained. Of course, he is now the head coach over in uh God, where is he over in Denver now? So he's taking over responsibilities mm-hmm. there. Um, but for the Chicago Bears, you know, I, I just worry about how uh, defensively uh, they've got the star players, but they did lose a few key guys along the way. Um, God, let me. Sorry, I'm flipping between my notes real quick that I took down, so that's why I'm trying to just banter for a little bit. I forgot how the alphabet went with all my notes, but uh, nice. but yeah, so they, important. Yeah, and you know, as much as I. As I was about to to crap on whoever's the new defensive coordinator, it is my old friend Chuck Pagano, who last was the head coach of the (laughs) Indianapolis Colts. Um, So definitely not you know a a terrible guy to have in there, but I just I think the drop off between that and then you lose guys like Adrian Amos, uh, you lose Bryce Callahan, who I would consider one of the best slot corners in all of football. I am a little worried about how this defense is going to look after absolutely dominating the league last year. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously the the defense after losing several guys has some question marks, but honestly, I I really don't know what to expect out of this offense this year. Matt Nagy is an outstanding head coach, great play caller. He runs that offense like a tight ship uh, and brings out the best in his guys. I just don't know if the guys that he has are the best. I mean, this this wide receiving core, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, they're all 
nice receivers. You know, they're, they're, they're good players to have on your roster, but they're not guys that you necessarily want uh, to be the three lead guys on your team. Obviously, they trade Jordan Howard. I don't think that's huge of a loss, to be honest. Mike Davis uh, and David Montgomery should form a, a fine wide receiver, running back duo, mm-hmm. and then Tariq Cohen being the passing passing downs back. I just don't know what, what to expect out of Trubisky. I mean, he looked good in parts last year, but he also looked terrible in some other parts. Um, and, and not to say that you know another year under Matt Nagy's system you'd like to think would be trending in the right direction. I just don't know if we're going to see him elevate the team uh, to a point where you know he's making the offense better. I think he just really – I hate using the, the word system quarterback. I feel like it's such a slight yeah. um, on people. But I, I just – I think that the system was built around – the talents of his offense, not his talents. Like, Mm -hmm. you're looking at Matt LaFleur's offense in uh, Green Bay, right? And he's coming in, and he's building that offense around Aaron Rodgers' talents. He's letting him run the two-minute drill. He's letting him uh, call audibles, make plays on his feet, that kind of thing. Mitch Trubisky, he just has so many limits in his game. Uh, as far as his arm goes and as far as his thinking on the field, I mean, he makes just some of the, the worst throws that you will ever see uh, out of an NFL starting quarterback, and you just kind of scratch your head. You're like, what did I just see? You know, it, it, it just doesn't seem like the offense is built for him to succeed. The offense is built for the offense to succeed, um, and he'll be an integral part of that, but I don't know if, you know, uh, you need to have a quarterback that elevates your team, and I don't think that Mitch Trubisky is that kind of player. Right, I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm as worried about Trubisky as as it sounds like you are, but I do understand that this is a huge season for him, and and you know it, we talk about some of these guys that we have considered toss ups on. You know, you know we look at Dak Prescott and what are the Cowboys going to do with him? Um, you know, I, for there was a certain point where I thought the same thing about Jared Goff at the Rams. I thought you know Sean McVay made Jared Goff who he is, and I feel like, you know, if you took away Sean McVay, Jared Goff would be what we saw out of his rookie year. Um, I've had those thoughts before, and certainly he's improved upon that as well. Um, But, you know, this is going to be a huge year for Trubisky, and I do think that this is a huge year that they do rely on the run game more. But why I'm not as worried about that as I am with teams like the Lions and Vikings who are more standard running teams is that the the Viking, I mean, the Bears just have so many different guys. I mean, you talk about Tariq Cohen, who's one of the best receiving backs in football on a tear. You've got David Montgomery, who honestly could come up being maybe the second. Uh, you know, honestly, wouldn't even surprise me if he was the top running back uh, rookie out of this group. I, I do love Josh Jacobs a lot, but I certainly think he's going to have a really huge impact this year. And they've also been using Cordell Patterson um, as a running back so far uh, in training camp. So if they do continue to use him that way, um, that's just another running back to have back there. So I feel like it's going to be a very, uh, very advanced run game, kind of like what we saw out of the Eagles two years ago, what we saw out of the Colts last year, where you have one guy that does a specific thing, and it helps a lot. And I think it's going to be a lot of short uh, yardage passing games with Trey Burton Anthony Miller across the middle. Um, of course, you've got guys like Robinson and Taylor Gabriel on the outside. Uh, rookie Ry- uh, Riley Ridley. Um, I'm not as worried about Trubisky, but I do. I, I, I want to say this is going to be a huge year to determine uh, what the Bears are going to do at the quarterback position moving forward. Because say they drop off, um, I think it's going to be tough because Matt Nagy has already came out. I mean, uh, you know, they they pretty much hushed down the story and didn't really make a big deal of it out of after it happened. But Nagy was like, Nagy came out in a Sunday night game, I think it might have even been the first week of the season, 
No, it couldn't have been. It was a couple weeks later. It was a Monday night football game, and he was basically talking about how I've got to uh, tailor my offense to fit around his talents, and he was kind of sliding Trubisky. So if if it comes to a point where they he thinks he can get the job done with a different quarterback, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds for Trubisky in Chicago. On the defensive side of the ball, their MVP last season was easily Khalil Mack, uh, the outside linebacker who was an absolute terror after being traded uh, by Oakland over to Chicago in that huge deal that included several first-round picks. Um, so we'll be seeing the reverberations from that uh, in years to come, but they obviously get him to an extension. He's going to be in Chicago for a long time, and he had an otherworldly season. If it weren't for Aaron Donald's presence, he probably would have been uh, the defensive player of the year last year. Um, it, it was just, it's what we've come to expect out of him. You know, 12 and a half sacks last year, not even his career high. He had 15 back in 2015. He's a three-time All-Pro. We're expecting him to maintain that level of production. Um, you know, we just don't know what the other players are around him. Akeem Hicks uh, had a huge season last year. Um, is he going to be able to sustain that level of success? Are the guys around him going to be able to bridge those opportunities that he creates uh, by using one or two guys in the offensive line. I think it's the guys around him necessarily that are going to need to attack the quarterback. And they have a very deep off defensive line, absolutely, um, just not as deep as we saw a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my final thing switching over to the schedule, um, I feel like I've been pessimistic about all these team schedules except for the Packers. I feel like theirs is a little light given the fact that they did finish third in the division last year. But for the Bears finishing first, I mean, God, it is Murderer's Row week 7 through 17. Uh, They have to play the Saints, the Chargers, and the Eagles in back-to-back-to-back weeks. They get a game against Detroit, but then they have to play away at the Rams And then they finish off their final four weeks with games against the Cowboys, the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Vikings. Uh, Those divisional games, you know, as I have, you know, pointed out, I'm a little lower on the Vikings. Um, But still, that's a terrible way to finish out your schedule. So it's going to be extremely important for them to secure those wins in the first six weeks. Uh, They do play the Broncos, the Redskins, and the Raiders, uh, which should, you know, the Bears should have an advantage in, but they do need to take one of those games from the Vikings or the Packers in those uh, in weeks one and four to really put themselves in a good position to maybe carry momentum into that stretch. Because, I mean, that's just an awful close. That's a, that's brutal. brutal. I mean, all those teams, all those teams you could consider playoff Super Bowl threats. Um, you know, the Saints, Chargers, Eagles, Rams. Uh, you know, Dallas, Kansas City, Green Bay. I mean, that's just, that's awful to have to go through, especially in the point where everyone is fighting for those playoff seeds in weeks uh, 7 through 17. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I I can't even think of a third uh, topic for this team. They're just, it's such an enigma, you know, and uh, I talked about this on a previous pod. Um, I see a lot of similarities uh, to what was, I guess, the 2017 Jaguars uh, in that they had a a smart head coaching staff, um, but a a quarterback who didn't necessarily elevate his team, uh, a so-so group of offensive playmakers around him. hold on a second. Are you talking bad about Blake Bortles? (laughs) How dare you? All I'm saying is he (laughs) didn't elevate his pro... How have these tables have turned? Um... (laughs) I'm just saying he didn't elevate his team to the point where, uh, you know, the offense was built around him. I, I really do like the, the coaching staff in Jacksonville that they have right now. I just don't think uh, that he was necessarily the piece. And they relied on a great defense anchored by uh, a fantastic, um, some p- fantastic pass rushers. I'm just, 
you know, they, they regressed the 2018 Jags. You know, we saw Blake Bortles come down to earth a little bit after uh, an uncharacteristic run from him, uh, or he had that great playoff game uh, and, and played pretty well toward the end of that season. You know, Leonard Fournette had some injuries. Um, obviously, ha- wasn't, hasn't been the same guy, and the, the defense just regressed as a whole. I think we could be seeing the same thing out of, out of the Bears this year. So uh, I'm just looking at this, this whole team uh in, in whether or not uh, it can sustain the level of success. I mean, we saw them go from being a fourth-place team to being a first-place team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really hard to do. Same thing that the Jaguars yeah. did uh, in 2017. So it's really hard to sustain that jump. Uh, you know, Is it just a fluke, or, or is this the team that we're going to be seeing uh, for years to come? And I can't say I'm completely sold on the state of the Bears right now. Yeah, so I think we're going to hit our second disagreement here. We, we nailed it on the Packers and Lions. Um, but for the Bears, I, I still have them as a as a talented team. I don't have them making the playoffs, but I do have them finishing uh, nine and seven, second place in the division. Uh, but you know, as we as you were saying with your Vikings pick, the NFC is just absolutely loaded. Uh, as just you know, even more so than last year, the way injuries played out um, this year. I mean, of course, there unfortunately will be injuries that come later. But I mean, the playoff mix is going to be so tough in the NFC. Um, that I don't think a nine and seven record will be able to do that, but that is where I have them finishing. Yep, the over under on Bavada is nine, and I am taking the under. Mm-hmm. I'm going with seven and nine okay. uh, this season, a losing record, third place in the NFC North. I, I just don't think this team is what everybody is making it out to be, and something that a lot of people have been pointing out this off season is uh, seems like chalk is to be almost everybody who made the playoffs last year making it again. Uh, just throw in the Packers and the Browns, and you basically <laughs> got your picks. Um, but that's just not how the NFL works out every no. year. Uh, you know, we don't get that many teams making playoffs in consecutive years. There's going to be some that have to fall off. Uh, and I think the the Bears are as good a candidate as anybody. Right. So let's so let's recap that just now that we have it all together. I know we went in like a, a an order from last year's standings, but the way I have things shaping out is the Packers winning the division at eleven and five, making the playoffs. Then I have the Bears in second at nine and seven, barely missing the playoffs. I have the Vikings and Lions both at six and ten. I give Vikings the upper edge just in terms of tiebreakers, but uh, both of those teams uh, missing the playoffs as well. Matt, what do you got? Yeah, I've got the Packers winning the division at 13-3, and three, going to be a powerhouse in the NFC. Following them are the Vikings, 9-7, and seven, going with an above 500 record, but just not good enough to make the playoffs once again. Mm-hmm. Then we followed by the Bears, who are having a disappointing 7-9 and nine season, and then the Lions rounding things out at 6-10. and 10. Not terrible, but just not good enough to compete in this tough division. Sorry, Bennett. Your team. Sorry, Bennett. sorry, Bennett. We tried. <laughs> we, we I tried, tried to convince myself, man. He yeah. he gave me a whole spiel about it. He so, did. You know, he made his pitch. I've heard all the Lions takes, but I'm afraid I can't go with a playoff team at this point. Bennett, when they go seven and nine, you can prove us wrong that we both pick six and ten. So so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he was that. also texting me, making fun of somebody for saying Hawkinson's first name wrong, and then I did it. So oh, this is you great. Can, you could just this is trash be both takes because uh, <laughs> both of them ripped the Lions. So I love basically, it. he can write it off as, as not important. So that's going to do it uh, for our show today, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter. I'm at MattWireFBB, where I write about uh, the Nats. Um, and I have, uh, I guess... I guess now's a good time to announce it. I actually haven't posted it. Oh, anymore, yeah. But I'm going to be it out there. Uh, over at NBC Sports Washington 
Um, just freelancing, doing some editors work for them, but I'll be writing up some uh, staff reports covering things from their news desk, that kind of thing, running social media. So I'm excited to be there, but maybe you'll see some NBC Sports stuff too uh, once I kind of get going. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, and then over at Blake's Twitter at Blake Andrew Pace, where he writes about the Colts and Syracuse uh, and all things NFL. Yeah, exciting times. And hats off to Matt. He is a busy working man, working seven days a week now. Uh, you know, between his gigs. So hats off to him for keep working. I like it, dude. We're, I'm excited for football. I'm excited to dish out these previews and see how many things we can fuck up uh, in in just a series <laughs> of eight episodes. Uh, but yeah, that, a lot. Yeah, they, yeah. It'll definitely be a lot. I can't wait for the uh, the blooper reel at the end of the season to see how many things we screw up. But yes, yes. But like Matt was saying, that'll wrap things up for tonight. Uh, we will be back two episodes a week starting next week on next Tuesday. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you later.